0: Asking for it. Subscribe now.
1: This is a CBC podcast. Children play outside in the small, fly in community of Pavernatak in the far north of Quebec. While the woman who delivered many of them, Akanisi Kumaluk, sits at her kitchen table, showing me her small hands.
2: My hands love to turn babies. We always make sure that the baby's head is down. But if the baby's head is up, my hands, I was taught to turn babies, and I love turning babies. Gently, gently, gently guiding that head down, down to where it's supposed to be. My hands are my skillful hands that know what they're doing. I loved my hands, I always loved my hands, because
1: my hands were smart. They are hands with stories, the hands of a midwife.
2: I loved those moments when the baby turned head down. I loved those moments. I loved it because this baby is working with me and I always talk to the babies inside. Hey, we're going to turn your head down. You're going to have to help me because you cannot be born this way. We're going to guide you so that your head can go down where it's supposed to be. And please remain that position. I just don't talk to the mother. I talk to the babies myself because I know that the babies inside can hear my voice. They can listen. If the baby came out fine, it's beautiful to welcome the baby into the world, welcome to the old world. (laughs) You're alive. You have a heart rate. That's good. Keep it up. I love
1: those moments. And Akinesia's quarterbacked hundreds of those moments during the long journey of one Inuit community to take childbirth Back into their hands. I'm Duncan McHugh, and this is Storylines. This week, I'm taking you to Nunavik, northern Quebec. For decades, Inuit women here had little choice but to travel south, far away from home, to give birth. Local care for mothers and babies simply was not available. It's a similar story in many small hamlets and First Nation communities across Canada's north. But that all changed in Pavernituck in 1986, when the community opened the first midwifery clinic in the north. It took me the better part of a day to get to Pavernituck home to about 2,000 people and countless sled dogs.
2: Mina Tulagak
1: is showing me around town. She drives by the place she was born.
3: So it's right here. Right there. I was born in a tent. In a
1: tent? Uh, yep. Wow.
3: My husband's grandmother was there. She's she's the one who's the famous midwife. My grandmother, my godmother, my mother-in-law was there also.
1: That's how it was back in the day, before the arrival of Kablunak, the white people. Women gave birth surrounded by family. My
3: mother-in-law used to describe it. It was a brand new tent. My parents were still young, and it was hot because it was in August. Everybody was sweating, she said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so there were no cablo, not there were no doctors, there were no nurses, no nothing. No. The woman who attended Nina's birth, her name was Caroline. She was famous for her skills for catching babies. That woman was Akanisi's grandmother.
2: They used to call her to aid labouring women. You know how labor works, they occur at any time of the day, even at night, so sometimes I'm sure she went by dog teams, and sometimes I'm sure she went by just by walking. Um, She must have had great skills, because I know that laboring women in those days, in those times, were not the easiest, I know that.
3: It
1: was Akaneci's grandmother who actually delivered Mina, but... She was surrounded that day by the matriarchs of Mina's extended family.
3: My mother-in-law was um, tagging along with her mother when I was born. That's how you learn uh, from each other.
1: So it, even then, it was women were, were teaching each other.
3: Yes. Yes, they were.
1: About how to, how to give birth.
3: Yes. It was natural. It was with family my mother was with women that she knew, and it was okay. If anything was to go wrong, it goes wrong. But when it doesn't, it's, it's something to celebrate.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think they worried about things going wrong?
3: Of course. There were some women who will get a bit traumatized when something went wrong. But it was a life, it was a way of life, and they continue, they move forward, and they continue. Mm. It was life.
1: Mm -hmm. The old-school Inuit midwives didn't have modern health technology. Instead, they relied on generations of passed-down knowledge about everything from natural ways to stop bleeding to the healthiest meals for expectant mothers.
2: In those days, The most nutrition meal that a woman could get during pregnancy and childbirth was ptarmigan. Mm. That used to be put aside for the woman herself so that she can eat it because it's rich in blood.
1: There was a lot of traditional medicine.
2: That was before the nursing station came. That was before the nurses came.
1: It was the arrival of missionaries, traders, teachers, and police that saw the creation of a nursing station. And so much changed then for the Inuit of Nunavik. By the 1950s, the government was pressuring pregnant women to travel hundreds of kilometers south to give birth. Places like Moose Factory at the southern tip of Hudson's Bay in Ontario, or Timmins, or even further south, Montreal, Akanesi was one of those women.
2: We started having babies down south in Moose Factory or in myself. I ended up in Timmins because I had high blood pressures when I was pregnant with my third pregnancy.
1: Akanesi gave birth to four children. She was 16 years old when she had her first one in Montreal. All things considered, it went okay. She wasn't so lucky with her third.
2: My blood pressure just kept going up and up and up and up, and they couldn't control it in any way. They even tried inducing me by vein, but it didn't work either, so I had to have a C-section. Oh, C-section was very painful. I remember the nurse waking me up, and she was telling me, so you had your baby girl. Would you like to see her? She was telling me that, and I said, no, I want to sleep. So I just went to sleep, and they let me sleep. It was really hard. It was very painful when I woke up. and
1: I The official reason for sending Inuit women to places like Moose Factory, Timmins, or Montreal was to improve birth survival rates and reduce complications. Northern hamlets didn't have hospitals. Southern towns and cities did. But for Inuit women, the experience of being sent south was isolating. They were alone for weeks, sometimes months if there were complications. Mina Tulagak was 17 years old when she had her first baby. It was the early 70s, and she too had to fly south to give birth.
3: I just accepted that's the way it was. I had no other way of thinking of how I had a say in the way... in what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I wasn't learned or taught to think like that, so I just went along with going to Mo's Factory. It was like being in a dorm, because I was wi- with other pregnant women from the other villages. I, I got to know them. It was okay. So that's how it was. Some women would go into labor. And we didn't think that we could be allowed to be with her while she was in labor, so they labored by themselves, which which happened a lot. Um, we had no family members there.
1: The nurses didn't speak Inuktitut. It was all so alienating.
3: The prenatal care I had with my first baby is like um, I wasn't taught. That what was going to be done to me, uh how they were going to look after me, why they were going to take my blood pressure, why they were going to check my my blood for blood count, and why they had to listen to my baby every every prenatal visit.
1: nobody ever explained those things Nobody ever explained and so it was a bit of a mystery, yeah, and you're just being treated like an object almost yeah.
3: Some halunaks would call it cattle. I don't know how you treat cattle. Uh, I don't know anything about cows. But we had dog tag numbers. We were treated like, I was treated like E92566.
1: (laughs) Until the late 1970s, the government issued all Inuit a small disc with a number on it. It was called the Eskimo identification system. Inuit were expected to wear or carry the tags at all times.
3: That's how we were treated. Like dogs. Not people. Mm Mm-mm.
1: And not women. (laughs) You're smiling at me, but, but, but... Yeah that's the truth right yeah but then in the 1980s something remarkable happened we got to take a quick break storylines we'll be right back i'm jonathan goldstein host of wiretap each week you're invited to listen in on my
2: telephone conversations whether funny sad wistful or even slightly strange you never know just what you might hear on wiretap
1: i mean i knew you had a show i just. I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. That's the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. In the 1980s, a pregnant woman from right here in Pavernatuck said, No, I'm not giving birth in the South.
3: She refused to get on the plane to go to Moore's factory, so she delivered her kid at the nursing station. Somebody had to refuse to get on the plane. It's just like that black woman who refused to get in the back of the bus. That was revolutionary.
1: Pavernatuck's Rosa Parks was a woman named Annie Tulagak, and her small act of resistance changed things. Mina Tulagak and others gathered the elders and started discussing the possibility of being treated by midwives. The midwifery care model puts a big emphasis on holistic care, focused on a mother and baby's needs, with natural childbirth whenever possible, compared to doctors who approach pregnancy and childbirth from a medical perspective. The midwifery approach just seemed more in tune with Inuit ways.
3: Me, for myself, personally? Mm-hmm. I was just going along with going south. Mm -hmm. But then when we started having the meetings of what it is that they were preparing for, to have midwifery services, to have women be trained by midwives so that they could train on the job, and how we want to give birth, who we want to give birth with, who we want to, to have attend our births, we started talking about that. I didn't know I needed to have healing from having birthed with no family. Healing from being taken from my home hmm. to another province to give birth by myself with strangers, with with food that I'm not used to, with people that I have never seen before, that I will never see again. That was a healing process for me with those meetings.
1: Hmm. And they said, OK, then let's, let's go for it. Let's do that. In the 1980s, midwifery still wasn't accepted in most parts of Canada. A hospital delivery overseen by a doctor was pretty much the only option. But this was about the time the Inuit of Nunavik had negotiated local control over health care as part of a land claim settlement. Medical staff in Pavernituck saw how keen the Inuit were to bring in midwives, and they saw a window of opportunity. By 1986, Pravernituck opened the North's first maternity center, staffed by both southern midwives and local women, like Akanisi, who signed up for training.
2: And I didn't even know what being on call meant at the time when I applied. But then I only learned years after that Being a midwife means being on call, being ready for any time at the night. It's only then, when I was in midwifery, that I realized what I got myself into.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Akinisi would go on to be a midwife for 36 years, attending over 700 births with her small and skillful hands before retiring last year. There's a big picture of Akanisi on the wall in the Pavernituck Maternity Center, or the maternity, as it's known here. It's part of the Pavernituck Hospital, one of only two hospitals that serve all of Nunavik. But the midwives have made it feel a bit more homey than your average hospital wing. Little touches, like a neon heart in the window and comfy couches and bedside tables for moms-to-be. That's where Nelly Ikikuk is examining Sarah Itakaluk. These days, the women of Pavernatuk have a very different birthing experience. Sarah is 21 years old. This is her second pregnancy. Her first was a boy. He's three,
0: and I think he knows about it.
1: <laughs> what did he say?
0: Um, me too, in here, yeah. in my belly. <laughs> Ever cute. <laughs> mm.
1: So he's excited.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. She's super relieved that both her children will be born here. The uh-huh. idea of giving birth down south makes her nervous.
0: Maybe strangers in Montreal, <laughs> the people that I don't know of.
1: That would be hard to have to show everything to yeah. people you don't even know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> mm. But
1: Sarah invites me to sit in on her exam. I sit beside her as Nellie <coughs> gently probes her growing belly and takes her vitals.
0: She's doing well, she's eating well. She's sleeping well. She pees fine. She has no nausea. She has no vomiting.
1: Oh, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) While she carries out the exam, Nelly shares words of encouragement in a (laughs) nuktat.
0: The woman really has to understand what is she going through. When she is taking a medication, what is it for, and telling her what is going on in her pregnancy.
1: Nellie is a mother herself of eight children. Two were high risk, so she had to be flown to Montreal. One of her babies was premature. That experience is burned into her mind. I was
0: trying to tell a nurse that I am in labor. And she said, No, you're not in labor. She was just looking at the machine, not my belly. And when I was like giving birth um, soon when the baby is gonna come out, I told her the baby's coming out and she says, No, you're not. She never checked me how dilated I am.
1: She wasn't paying attention to you. No. She wasn't listening to you. No. She wasn't trusting you.
0: No. So we never do that when there is a a woman in labor here in POV. So I was like, what the heck are they uh, thinking? So they finally check me and uh, they see the head. And they rushed me to the emergency room because the baby supposed to uh, birth in the emergency because he was a uh, premature. At uh, 34 weeks, he was born.
1: These stories of medical misunderstandings and being treated with indifference persist today amongst Inuit women who travel south for health care, which is why, after the success in Pavernatuck, three other communities in Nunavik open maternity centers, Inukjuak, Salawit, and Kuujjuaq. Researchers from across Canada and the globe have studied them extensively, and the numbers tell an important story. Almost 9 out of 10 births are in Nunavik now, not down south. Rates of cesarean deliveries are drastically lower here, about 2% compared to nearly 30% in southern Canada use of epidural pain relief is also well below the Canadian average. Mina Tulagak maintains it simply isn't as scary giving birth here.
3: It's people who who are very nervous about birth, who act like pregnancy, labor, and birth is a sickness. That's that's the environment that makes it scary.
1: The rates of Perinatal mortality, that's the term for late fetal and early newborn deaths, are roughly the same as rates in Canada as a whole, under 1%. To Mina, it's sad when any family loses a baby, but she maintains Inuit have different values about newborn deaths.
3: Doctors will do everything they can to keep anybody alive, even if they... Save that baby, that baby would have needed a lot of help to be existing while they're suffering. That's, that's, how, that's how we look at it, as Inuit.
1: After over 30 years of successful maternity care and over 3,000 babies delivered, Pavernatuck has become a beacon for other indigenous and northern communities. Right now, there are only 11 Indigenous midwifery practices in all of Canada, which means most pregnant Indigenous women in remote regions have no alternative but to leave their communities to seek care from strangers.
2: Once we started midwifery care, midwives around Canada started hearing about our maternity being run by local midwives in in their own language and being taken care of by their own local people. They were in awe. We were not even aware that we were doing something so unique. It was only years later that we realized that we were so unique because we were running our own maternity in our own language and seeing our own women
1: On my last day in Pavernitak, at about 4 o'clock in the morning, Lillianne Lollekul goes into labor. She calls Nellie.
0: Yes, yeah, she called me at home while I'm still sleeping. That she was saying she's fully. So I, I rushed to here, to the hospital.
1: Baby Elisipi came into the world a few hours later. Seven pounds, 15 ounces. The student midwife made the catch with Nellie looking on.
0: Relief <laughs> after the baby is born. Mm-hmm. we're Relief. Mm-hmm. And makes us so happy that the baby is doing well and the mother.
1: The midwives do what they do after every birth. They spread the word. They plug in that tiny neon heart glowing orange in the window, a signal to passing trucks and skidoos, a baby has been born. Nellie looks drained but content. How many babies have you delivered now? How many babies have you caught? Uh, more than a 100.
0: Um, I was trying to uh, update my catches, but I'm like in 95, and there are more things to write That must be more than a hundred.
1: You have to catch up with your files. Yes. And I'm keeping you away from your work. (laughs) (laughs) I say goodbye, walk out of the clinic, past that bright heart in the window, past Nellie's truck, which has a license plate holder that makes me smile. It says, I'm a midwife, What's your superpower? It makes me think of something Akinisi told me.
2: If we start midwifery in our own communities, it can start to heal our own communities. It can open up women's health. It can open up our own women in their own language. And your hands need to be small, and you need to be a light sleeper. That's... (laughs) You're meant to be a midwife <laughs> are,
1: are, are you trying to recruit Are you trying to recruit More midwives
2: Yeah I'm trying to recruit More midwives around Canada Because midwifery is very important To our communities
1: Small handed women Who are listening <laughs> you, can, you can be a midwife
2: Yeah, yeah I loved being a midwife <laughs> Uh,
1: uh, that's very good. All right, thank you. Uh, yeah, Nakuramik. Thank you. you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. That documentary was produced by me and edited by Alison Cook with A.C. Rowe, who is the producer of Storylines, a version of the story originally aired on CBC's The Current. That's it for this week's Storylines. We're part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. And hey, if you like what you're hearing on Storylines and you want more, hit subscribe, save to your favorites, tell a friend about us, leave us five stars, do all the things. We'd really appreciate it. I'm Duncan McHugh. Jimmy Quatch. Thanks for listening.